0: Hello humans of triathlon and welcome back or welcome to the HOT Podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon, one human, one story at a time. With the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real, authentic, raw and enjoyable conversations with triathletes from around the globe and from all walks of life. I'm Swapnil Chauhan here with my co-host Charles Hunk and Radmom Robin along with another amazing guest.
1: Alright guys, so when victims of abuse, humans instinctively look for a sense of justice by placing some form of penalty or price to pay on the abuser side. But many times, depending on context and circumstances, this can be difficult. And most of the times, we never really internally feel the damages have been fully paid for. Today's guest is an example of someone who looked instead to get justice from within, to get a sense of inner peace that allowed her to come stronger than ever. In her own words, triathlon didn't just save me. It ensured that the bond that allowed my abuser to control me was broken once and for all. Also, did anyone say Patagon man? yeah i think i heard that and so will you if you stick around for the next hour while we talk to this hardcore human of triathlon whose 90 percent of instagram posts are lessons of how to do a proper yoga pose ladies and gents please welcome ashley zaccaro
0: welcome ashley hi
2: welcome hi. Ashley. hi
0: we are glad to have you on so yeah how, how have you been
3: um very good um yeah you did just the came Patagon back
0: <laughs> yep <laughs> how how was it like it was your first iron man wasn't it yes and
3: my you first chose, oldest
0: and he chose to do an extreme try that's crazy <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's a pretty tough first one
3: it is. yeah <laughs> i mean Sorry. i guess i wouldn't really know if it's worse but i believe you <laughs> <laughs>
0: So yeah, we'll get back to that soon. Want to hear more about that. But so to like get things going, we start off with this question, which is, let's say you were to write a book about your life and you could start that book from any point of your life. Which point in time would you like to begin the book with and why?
3: So I've been thinking about it. I feel like an essential part of my story is that my upbringing was very, very, very privileged. So Mm. somewhere... In the very beginning, growing up, I had, financially, I was very blessed and theoretically I had everything that I could want, but I struggled with depression for a large portion of my life. And I think that's sort of where my story begins.
0: Okay. So when you say very privileged, what, just expand on that a little bit more.
3: My parents got divorced when I was, uh, or they started to get divorced when I was eight. But up until then, we were sort of like the quintessential modern American family. Um, my dad, he started a business. It was very successful. So we lived in a very safe neighborhood where we didn't, you know, we left our car keys in the car with the doors unlocked kind of thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah <laughs> In one square mile town with you know everyone knows everyone and um it's just very very safe and never wanting for anything that kind of thing
2: right was your depression at all linked to your parents divorce or did it start at some other time
3: it started around there it's hard to really say you know what would have happened not for that but i think that's sort of what triggered it um and it just sort of never went away
2: <laughs> it must have been hard as a teenager
3: Yeah, it started even before that I was more like nine. And that was also middle school and puberty and a very tough age, I think, for anyone. And it was hard, you know, being in a theoretically a a really admirable family where, you know, kind of there's that stigma about people who are well off and having mental illness, like as if it's just about gratitude Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, So you sort of feel like, you, you know, you, you have all it. this stuff. Yeah.
0: So did you kind of like, obviously you were really young. So were you able to talk to anyone about it? Did you like know what was going on? Or did you just have this feeling and you weren't sure what it was?
3: I actually, I, I didn't know what was happening, but I remember the moment where it, where it clicked and it was Father's Day some year and we were at Hershey park with my dad and his girlfriend and her daughter and my sister was there and you know it's a theme park there's rides there's a lot to do and I used to love roller coasters and I remember I just wanted to sit on the bench and I told my dad I'm just gonna sit here you guys go do whatever and he was like it's because you're depressed and I was like oh yeah that's why (laughs) but up until like it just didn't occur to me I think I was so young I didn't I didn't even realize like Anything had changed or anything was wrong until he said it, and then all of a sudden I was like, "Oh, that's it isn't normal how I feel." Right?
2: Uh, did you uh, have any sports at that time in your life that you could kind of get or work things out with?
3: Not at all, and that's you know uh, regretful in hindsight. Yeah, I really didn't do anything for it for a long time, and that's kind of the place that I was in when obviously the the abuse happened so i really i didn't have any outlet and i relied a lot on my friends and the person who uh abused me was my best friend at the time so that sort of was um wow. yeah a vulnerability that he exploited was that i did rely a lot on on my friendships to kind of keep me happy or so i thought
0: i mean that must have been kind of you could say scary because, you know, a friend who you said your best friend who did this, then you had to rely on other friends. So did you have any like issues with trust or anything like that?
3: Yeah, very much so. And and that's something I really struggle with still. I mean, the the nature of it was very confusing and it really took me five years to even understand what had happened because he did. He got to know me and understand me and he knew that I had these weaknesses and, um, you know, my happiness and my self-confidence. And he kind of built this relationship with me where I relied on him for a lot of things. And I trusted him so deeply. And when he decided to start abusing me, like I I just couldn't fathom that he was doing that. So I I didn't even see it um, for a really long time. And I actually remained friends with him for a long time, which is might sound crazy, but is not all that uncommon i've learned <laughs> but until really a few years ago i i i didn't even understand that that he had that he was wrong
2: so how did how did you come to that understanding was there an event or sort of a slow dawning or
3: it was a little bit of both i after after high school which had happened in high school i really became very isolated for two years i didn't really talk to anybody. <laughs> And I was just suffering in all sorts of ways. And then eventually I ended up moving to New York City where I live now and ended up dating my boyfriend who, when I, you know, between the abuse with my abuser and my boyfriend, I really, I didn't really have friends, let alone, I certainly didn't have any physical contact with anybody. And when I started dating my boyfriend, it became very apparent to me that I was not normal and that I had a lot of issues That seemed to stem from what had happened. So it was kind of a slow learning process with my boyfriend just kind of learning how to have a relationship and to, you know, realize the extent of the damage that was done. So it was slowly kind of discovering that there were all these residual consequences of what had happened, and then learning to assign the blame to, you know, my abuser. Once I was kind of more aware of it and able to kind of call it abuse, I confronted him. And that led me to fully understanding that what he had done was completely intentional, that it was not some mistake that my friend made, which was sort of the story I was telling myself at that point. Mm -hmm. It, It made me realize that he was, you know, he was an abuser. It was real. Like it wasn't just something in my head. It wasn't something that I had done. It was him. It was a little bit of both. It was a slow but also
2: sudden realization. <laughs> hmm. and so, so where did it go from there?
3: So after I had realized that it was all it was all real, I reported him to the police for rape and that led to a small investigation where my abuser didn't make a statement and then the prosecutors did not pursue the case. Hmm and that's where that's where triathlon came into my life
2: (laughs) it must have been really sort of disheartening to feel like it wasn't being
3: it's a really i I don't know how to explain the feeling like there was (laughs) the process of reporting was so stressful and i developed this like anxiety i have had anxiety like i said anxiety depression for a large portion of my life, but the anxiety that I had while I was reporting was unlike anything I had ever experienced before. It was very physical. Like I, my stomach was upset all the time. And whenever I got an email, I would literally jump. So there was At the time that I was told it wasn't going to go forward, there was a moment of relief where I was like, thank God, because I can't take it anymore. Like, if this were to go forward, Mm. it would be years before anything happened, if anything happened. But that relief lasted for a very short time before I realized the implications of it, that it meant that he would never never be tried. He would never... Yeah, yeah.
0: So after that, did you, like... Did you know that you had to like deal with it yourself within yourself? You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, I I became aware that that I was not okay with it and that I had to figure out a way to 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 be okay with it anyway <laughs> um, because I I had no control over that at that point. And I think really, it's the the way that triathlon came into my life is miraculous to me because I don't know how I would have. I don't know how I would have figured out a way to to deal with it otherwise um, if it didn't fall into my lap, because three days after I found out that they weren't going to prosecute him, uh, I got an email from a charity that I donate to, Farm Sanctuary, that um, joined our New York City triathlon team. And I was like, I, I applied instantly. I was like, this is this is what I'm doing.
2: <laughs> so why do you think it spoke to you so like strongly?
3: I had... I was a runner already and I had technically done a triathlon before with my running partner. We did a super sprint women's only triathlon and I think it was 2014 without really training. Like I doggy paddled and we borrowed bikes from someone (laughs) (laughs) and I enjoyed it a lot. And I thought someday I would, I would like to get into it. And I had actually looked at the New York city triathlon, but I didn't really think I could do it because it was, it was so long. Um, (laughs) And (laughs)
2: <laughs> From where you're standing today, that probably seems kind of amusing.
3: It is amusing, but it was also last year, so it's kind of just insane <laughs> <laughs> how it's happened.
0: Yeah, wow. you progress really quick. I mean, even that first race, I think you won, you finished, you got on the podium in the age group, right?
3: Yeah, I came in third yeah. in my age group. <laughs>
0: And you qualify for nationals and, you know, you progress really, really quickly since then.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's all worked out extremely well.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So what is your favorite kind of part of the triathlon experience? What really makes it important for you?
3: I think that a huge part of it is that it's not unlike running. you, You really need to train where like it becomes a lifestyle. It's not just a, you know, a one off and I love the training. I guess you have to, but I really enjoy like waking up and being like, what am I going to do today? And there's so many options and I love them all. And, um, <laughs> and then during the race, I mean, I, I make friends at every single race that I do and I just, the camaraderie at, and in a triathlon is just ridiculous. Like that everyone there has sort of a similar, slightly insane mindset (laughs) um (laughs) and i just i don't know i really take
2: take us back to that first triathlon so you trained with the charity group did you guys all train together we did or was it just kind of a we did some training on your own thing
3: yeah it was we have a facebook group where we there was like emotional support um and a lot of those you know we all did the team this year as well so full rides together and some open water swimming together but mostly the training was alone, but I just remember waiting in line for the 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 swim start and I have a fear of the water, which is pretty much completely gone now at this point. <laughs> but the jump from like the the barge into the Hudson River is probably two feet, and I was standing there and literally telling my boyfriend and my mom that I hated myself for for signing up for this like I was so <laughs> scared to jump like one foot down into like a very controlled body
2: <laughs> was it super cold
3: no not even it was it's pretty warm in there and it's probably the easiest swim at least for an olympic distance and I'd say maybe the world <laughs>
0: <laughs> so after that first one did you just like how was the progression? Do you know that you want to do another one immediately, or what was that like?
3: I signed up for the New York City Triathlon for the next year at the award ceremony. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you were bit.
0: I was bit by the brain. <laughs> so what was it about it that that made you addicted to it?
3: I I don't really know. Um, I, it just was amazing. I think, as far as what I was conscious of. One of the things that made that race so much fun to me was during the bike leg of the race, there was this girl, her name is Kelly, who obviously we could see our age group on our legs. And she and I, for the whole 25 miles, were passing each other back and forth, back and forth every couple minutes. And it got to the point that we were just kind of, we would just laugh and say hi every time we passed. And um, <laughs> it helped both of us, I think, do better. She ended up coming in second she, she and I now are still connected. We, uh, we did Escape from Alcatraz together this year, but just that was like the the, the camaraderie that I love so much. That I'm sure, you know, we all love so much, hit really, really hard because we. I made a friend. Like I didn't, I didn't expect that. It was so, it was just so lovely. Like people are so just having fun and laughing and talking, and you're also working really hard. I just, I just loved it. <laughs> but i think also a lot of it was um a big part of that time in my life where i was coping with sort of leaving the abuse and the lack of justice in the past and really the the lack of answers in the past um it was something that was really hard for me to deal with um i had kind of a deep sense of needing to understand how this person who i i cared for and who i thought cared for me could actually hurt me in such an intentional and messed up way. And I think also because he was my friend and we had stayed connected, there was a big part of me that, that wanted the answers from him. And something that I've learned about abusive relationships since then is that, you know, a lot of times you hear people go back to their abusers or they don't leave. And why is that? And there's a lot of stigma about it. Like why, if somebody's hurting you, why would you not leave? And, that's something that I could relate to. It's something that even after I reported him, I texted him, begging him to give me answers at one point, which seems insane because I should know better than to to go to him for answers. But what I've learned is that abusive relationships do have a, a physiological effect on your brain and your hormones that does create a very similar or if not an actual addiction to that person, to the abuse and one of the main hormones that's affected in an abusive relationship is adrenaline and because of that you sort of become an adrenaline junkie being in an abusive relationship you get addicted to the adrenaline and then the subsequent dopamine that gets released in the moments of highs where this person who abuses you is being nice to you and making you feel good and then when they abuse you 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 want it you crave you crave them, and that chaos has a really damaging effect on your on your hormones, specifically your adrenaline, your norepinephrine, and your dopamine. So one of the ways that you can actually sort of break that cycle is to re- replace the addiction with a healthier thing, which also releases adrenaline. Essentially, you kind of can take advantage of the adrenaline junkie that has been created in you by an abuser to find a habit that releases adrenaline which i knew none of this when i started triathlon (laughs) but it happened to work out jumping
2: off a barge into a river kind of stretch that (laughs) does the trick (laughs)
0: yes wrote in your the email you sent us your story I, i was wondering like you mentioned that you had this addictive type of bond between him and you and yeah you that whatever you just said makes complete sense now yeah so you know like walk us through so was there like a particular point where you felt like that addictive bond had been broken um sort of walk us through how your thoughts and maybe your feelings kind of changed or like evolved from before you started triathlon till that moment or time when you felt that the bond was broken Mm.
3: so i in some ways just like the discovery of the abuse it was slow and quick at the same time there once I started really training for the triathlon, I actually think it is the swimming, which was the thing that scared me the most, that had the biggest impact on me. I just realized that I I didn't need him. I didn't need his excuses or his answers or anything like that and that it wasn't helpful to me, which was something that I logically knew much longer, but I couldn't I couldn't get myself to let go of that. Like I I was I think you know, addicted to the desire for an explanation. And once I became immersed in the training, you know, I never I I started training in January and I never texted him again after January. And I think that speaks volumes. (laughs) But even now, I mean it's still it's a it's a process. But I think that the biggest thing that left me vulnerable to him ever taking advantage of me in any way again was that I did want him to explain it and that's the thing that that I would never I can't ever go back there there's no part of me that is worried I would because not only did triathlon give me I mean a new source of of adrenaline and made me see that it wasn't healthy but it also really built my self-worth up in a way that nothing else ever did and it gave me so much to look forward to and and realize like there's this long future ahead of me that has doesn't have him in it and that's a great thing but there wasn't really a moment where I realized like I he has no power over me anymore it's just looking back I realized that he he doesn't (laughs) and that took a long time
2: so independent of this uh, you know abusive relationship has your depression been affected by your training and your racing
3: absolutely I still struggle with depression and I think that to some extent, I always will. And it's sort of just something I accept and I, I'm i thriving anyway, if that makes sense. I'm doing a lot and I'm, I'm also happy. But actually, really, running was the thing that made the biggest difference in my depression. I started running, I mean, ironically, the year after the abuse happened. I was living with a friend and his mom was a runner and she just kind of asked me like, hey, do you want to do this marathon with me? And I was not an athlete. <laughs> at all and i was just for some reason that i i i could never explain why but i was like okay sure and then i i trained for a marathon with her and running you know came into my life first and again in another moment i was that was a terrible year for me but i ran a marathon (laughs) Uh and that helped with my depression very, very much, and that the effects of, of becoming a runner have never subsided. I mean depression ebbs and flows, it's still there, but being an athlete in general gave me gave me the, the benefits to my depression that that's never gone away.
2: How do you feel triathlon is different from running in that regard or, or overall?
3: I think running was more of a, a lifestyle change for me versus triathlon as a sport. I did do races running, but I never was really into speed work. Like it was really, I just, I liked triathlon. I want to, I want to get the podium. I want to challenge myself. I want to get faster. I want to go longer. Like I, that's awakened this like competitive and goal oriented part of me that I didn't really ever have in running where I want to, I want to progress. Like I want to be, always improving and getting better I think starting with a marathon probably made it hard to uh <laughs>
2: kidding. where do you go from there <laughs> and yet you end up at an Ironman man so far
0: <laughs> yeah I guess
3: I'm doing the same a
2: crazy part. crazy Ironman.
1: man <laughs> so you can so, say that so, um that you're so the running pretty much you know helps you to more of a to address, to address your your depression issues and then you have a triathlon which somehow has allowed you to break that bond between the, with, with this abusive relationship in the past. but then you have this thing that you know every, every person that we interview obviously we I love to see the, their Instagram accounts because normally they they speak a lot about the person, and mm-hmm. I think so far there have been two people. Whose Instagram accounts have a very specific thing that stands out from the traditional triathlete account, you no? Know? And once we had this uh, person who does uh, some sort of um, a circus, it's a uh, acrobatics or something like that, and you always see her her both just like hanging from the roof on on this. Uh, it's very, very specific, right? On your case, I've seen that I think 90% or more of those poses are about these this specific yoga poses. So, <laughs> uh, and then, of course, you say that you are a yoga instructor. How does yoga ha- has fit into all of this? No? And, uh, and did it start uh, much before? Or was it also something that you took at the same time that you started taking triathlon? So how, how did that get into your life? How has it affected maybe in a good way yourself?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Also, I want to figure out who that other person was because she sounds awesome. Um,
0: <laughs> she was, her name was Jen. Pai. Awesome.
3: <laughs> we'll look her up. So I started doing yoga this around the same time, a few months after I started running, and I became a yoga teacher the following year. There's, I guess I have a trend of going all into things that I like. Um, but I yoga, yoga and running... I, At that point in my life, that was, you know, about about a year after the abuse. And I was in a very, very, very dark place in my life. I was suicidal and struggling with an eating disorder and not living at home and very directionless and very hopeless. And I made a lot of changes in my life at that time to try to survive. Um, And one of those things was doing yoga. I had an I have an uncle who is very into meditation. And so I kind of grew up with that influence um, and had an interest in it. And that's sort of what led me to actually taking a class. But yoga has been one of the great gifts in my life, along with running and triathlon. And it's been, I mean, it happens to be a very good complement to running as far as physically stretching and um, staying flexible and cross-training. It is a really good complement. So that just sort of is another... Coincidence, (laughs) but really, I
0: like mentally and emotionally too. Maybe right because with the running and triathlon, it's like go, go, go. But with yoga, it's like a more calm sort of thing, which sort of balances that. Yes,
3: for sure, that's so true, and that's more. You know, I do my primary reason for my yoga practice is for the meditation, the meditation and the mental benefits of it. And the for sure, I'm somebody who benefits greatly from slowing down. It's very counterintuitive to me, and I I love whenever people tell me like, oh, I can't I can't meditate, I I don't like it, it's boring. I'm like, that's same, but that's why we need it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I interestingly, the, like the more the harder it is they say in yoga, the more you need it, and that's something that's been I think very true for me. <laughs> if it's, if across don't, the board across the board. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I think it's a good kind of baseline for me. Now that I'm doing more long distance triathlons, yoga doesn't fit into my life nearly as much as it used to, because just time wise, I spend a lot of time on my bike now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it um, it is a good way for me to kind of judge like, when my anxiety is really bad, or when I'm struggling, I don't want to do yoga. And I know I need to. (laughs) So it's something that I'm Hmm. glad. It's a good way for me to kind of measure like where are we at? How are we doing? Based on just how much I want to do it. (laughs) So
2: your resistance is kind of a barometer there.
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: I'm curious. So when you can't do the sport for, let's say, because of an injury or something like that, how do you deal?
3: I have not gotten injured since I started triathlon. I have been injured as a runner. I don't like it. (laughs) it Uh, (laughs) I thankfully yoga can be adapted to to do that no matter really what you're dealing with. There's some way to do it. If nothing else, you can breathe and that's yoga. So I, I did when I've been injured as a runner, I've I've gone more into my yoga practice. But it's it's hard know the momentum has been up since i started triathlon so when when that inevitably happens it's going to be unfortunate but it's going to be okay too i'll just i'll do some more yoga
2: we <laughs> will just breathe i'll just breathe <laughs> so talk to us a bit about how you came to enter this Ironman.
3: um so one of the friends of mine on the farm sanctuary team in new york if you ask him to tell this story, he'll tell it very differently, but he's not here. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'll say so we get your version. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he peer pressured me very much. <laughs> he told me that him and all his friends entered the lottery for this race and they all got in, but the lottery is closed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then I was so jealous cuz he made it sound so cool and exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, um they opened up some more slots because some people had dropped out and my friend told me oh there's more slots you should enter and I that was the peer pressure <laughs> <laughs> and so I entered it and I told myself like I don't really have a lot of vacation days and it's a really far trip and how am I going to do a full Ironman especially an extreme one you know but I also I wanted to do it I was like, I'm never going to do it if I don't know somebody who's doing it. And he's doing it this year. So it's this year or never. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> but I applied. I kind of in my head, I was like, if if it's supposed to happen, it will. So the application had kind of a, a section for, you know, describe like, why do you want to do this? And I really left it blank. Like I said the bare minimum that I could. I didn't want to like sound enthusiastic because I didn't want to. I wanted it to be like fate <laughs> and they responded with like within 10 minutes being like, you sound so excited. You're in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then it, and then I trained and then nothing went wrong and it happened. And I can't believe it still. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so what was your race experience like? Oh my gosh.
3: By nothing went wrong. I mean, it's a self-supported race. So you have to bring a support person to bring you your fluids and you know have spare tubes and they get to run the last eight miles with you and my boyfriend was my support person and the night before the night before the race he got food poisoning and was vomiting for five hours neither one of us slept (laughs) it was bad and then this is TMI, but I'm sharing it because it's part of my race experience that I got my period the day before the race. So uh. we were just screwed. <laughs> <laughs> my boyfriend said we were doing the race on a hard mode. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the lead up. We were feeling pretty doomed. I got chased by wild dogs on my bike on a training ride the day before. <laughs>
1: it's almost <laughs> the universe is telling you don't do this thing. Just pull out. It seems that way. (laughs) It's time time to pull out.
3: (laughs) But for some reason, we still did it. And we got really lucky with the water. It was warmer than we expected, which was good because I had not tried the neoprene gloves that I bought last minute and they were way too big. So I had to take them off right away. (laughs) Thankfully, it was warm enough that that didn't destroy my swim. And then it was just, it was harder than they even made it sound, which was insane already. There was 20 miles on the bike that were straight uphill. Like, there was not a downhill. But there were false downhills, and you were, like, hallucinating. You were like, I need this downhill. Thank God. We've been going uphill for 10 miles. And it just wasn't a downhill at all. (laughs) And then the run, the first four miles of the run, they intentionally made just absolutely brutal so that you'd think that you can't finish. And I really, I actually... I gave myself a speech. I was like, you did great. You did the bike. And that was the part you were the most afraid for. You made it this far. It's okay that you're not going to finish. Like, I really, I didn't think I was going to do it. And then, and then somehow, somehow I,
2: I did it. (laughs) (laughs) You gave yourself permission to fail and then you didn't.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: What got you past that point where you were just like, ah, that's it. I'm not going to be able to do this.
3: I did. Like, I think that. I was trying to stay positive about it and not just totally give up. And I think that was, that in itself was helpful. And I was, you know, I was really grateful. It was hard to be so down when, I mean, the surroundings were breathtakingly beautiful and I'm so lucky to have even gone there like for a triathlon or just to be there. And I just told myself, you keep running until they tell you you can't and you get as far as you can. And within that, I really like I remembered I was like I want this so bad I've worked so hard for it like just keep Mm. going and then I did and and then we made it I mean just happened I still don't really know how it happened
2: (laughs) (laughs) well that was awesome
3: it was very cool
1: did you have any beach in the water
3: no actually the water was pretty the challenge of the water was that it was going to be cold so it really was it was honestly besides Lake Placid it was my favorite swim I've ever done. Nice.
2: Wow. So by not very cold, what what do you mean by that? <laughs>
3: I I don't know. It was certainly still still a colder swim. I I had bought a thermal wetsuit, so that probably helped a lot. Mm. They were saying it was going to be fifty degrees Fahrenheit. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that. Whatever it was, I think it was probably closer to sixty.
1: Mm. Yeah, because when I hear the word Patagon, it just uh, brings me uh, images of ice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. sure,
3: no.
2: Mountains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. There were
3: snowy mountains in the background. <laughs>
0: do you plan soon. on doing another extreme anytime soon? Or you want to stick well, with the normal?
3: You know, I told myself going into it that I wouldn't even do another full for a while and it's been seven days and I am I'm looking at Alaska Man, I'm looking for more <laughs> <Trastic. laughs>
2: So amnesia has already set in is what you're saying.
3: It's been it's very quick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we've actually talked to a few. We have we've had a couple other guests on the show. Just uh, I think our previous episode was with a gal who wants to do Alaska Man as well. She's from Australia, and Chris from New York itself. He also Chris just from New York, on, and he's now going for Nostman too. Oh, awesome! Catch up, I guess. Both stay in New York.
2: Yeah, you guys can you know train together, breaking ice in the Hudson River or whatever <laughs> crazy thing you do. Oh my
3: god. I still don't really believe I'm one of those crazy people. Like,
2: (laughs) well,
0: clearly you are. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's great. Another thing I wanted to talk about was your website, which is which I think you started a few years ago. So you know, you've been sharing your experience over the last few years. I just want to know how that, you know, writing and sharing experiences helped you? And like, how long did it take to actually reach that point that you were able to start sharing openly?
3: Mm. Writing has been an extremely healing thing for me. And it's also been a great way for me to connect with other survivors of um, rape and abuse. And I actually sort of went backwards. I had decided after, once I realized that what had happened to me was rape, I shared a post on Facebook about it because I realized that I had learned a lot in my journey that I thought I should have known sooner about kind of consent and things like that so I had shared a post on Facebook initially and that's sort of how how my writing and my sharing started so it kind of happened at the same time as my my whole journey did if that makes sense it was but I I initially started my website because when I decided that I was going to report to the police I had looked up resources online because I I had a lot of questions about like what what that would be like just logistically I I wanted to know what I was getting into and I found some resources but mostly they were it was like general information of people being like here's why I reported and here's why I feel good about it or here's why I don't feel good about it in hindsight but I really I'm like I like to know things and I wanted somebody to tell me like what happens, like when you report? like what's step one? What's step two? So when I made the decision to report, I recorded notes along the way of like how I was feeling and what was actually happening, and that was initially why I made my website was to be another resource for people who want to know that when they're thinking about reporting.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
3: what is it actually like? And then from there, I just continued to share, you know different feelings I've had, different lessons I've learned, just sometimes on bad days and I'm very very proud of what I have there. I think it's um you know I've I've had people reach out to me saying that it's helped them and it's it's helped me to be able to be open and and to kind of get rid of the stigma. There's a lot of stuff people don't talk about. It's uncomfortable, but it's uh you know it's something that the more you talk like knowledge is power. That's kind of my belief.
2: How is the me too movement in kind of this last year has that affected you at all has has that brought any feelings or changes to feelings
3: yeah honestly when me too started it was really triggering it was kind of difficult um at when me too became a thing i had already reported and already been told nothing was going to happen so it was sort of just my whole facebook feed was was just filled with people's stories which is really excellent but it was it was hard mm. then As a result of that, I also got to see, you know, I got to see justice brought in a very different way, where when the justice system doesn't do what it's meant to do, people, you know, just come out and and they out their abusers. And, you know, I'm somebody who believes that the justice system should be doing a better job. And I think that Mm, we should be working towards changing that so that it's more effective. And um, I'm doing what I can for that. But I have also... I think Me Too is a really good thing that at least socially, if we start understanding and derailing rape culture and victim blaming things, at least like we're the jury in the legal system. So if the jury understands and that change, well, it might not directly impact the laws, impacts our views. And I think anything that's happening socially, it gives us more power and it gives the justice system and prosecutors who are making these decisions about whether or not a case has a chance of of going anywhere more confidence that that it will because the jury is more educated
2: well and that's a great point i've never heard it phrased that way and we're not only the jury we're the you know teachers of young children or counselors or people in a church or whoever somebody might you know report to or talk to or somebody's friend or um, that's that's a great way to think about it.
0: I also saw that you are a member of the is it Rain R A I speakers. So what, yes. what exactly is that?
3: So Rain is an organization that does a lot of advocacy work for um, changing the laws, the sexual abuse and rape laws, and they also provide services to survivors. Um, like they have the biggest hotline. That survivors can call to get help and advice. They have Speakers Bureau, which is essentially any survivor can apply for it, and it's a database of survivors who are willing to speak publicly about their story. So, if somebody, some organization, or a school, or anything, um, if they're looking for a speaker for an event they're having, Marine has this database of survivors who are willing to to speak and. So organizations or whoever, what have you, can contact Rain and explain what they're looking for, what sort of experience they're looking for, and what kind of abuse and location. And Rain will reach out to their the members of the speak fit that description and and offer them the speaking gig. It's all volunteer, but it's 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 nice. I just joined it recently, so I haven't had any opportunities yet to actually speak. But I'm very, very part of it. Uh, the work Rain does is very ineffective and effective, very exciting that they're there awesome do you
2: feel like the kind of bravery that it takes to do a triathlon has influenced your ability to do things like that as well or are they just not connected
3: they're connected i'm not sure if it's exactly in that way though it's more that there's a lot like i said i really did have a fear of of the water and the ocean and it's sort of like at going through everything I've gone through and speaking about it has made me realize that I am capable of doing things that I'm afraid of and that it's I think a really empowering and good thing to to face your fears and go outside of your comfort zone and in in a way like everything I've gone through has kind of taught me that it's like if you mm-hmm. want to do something and
2: you're scared it's do it <laughs> well that sounds like a great motto <laughs> <laughs> and that's so- how I ended up <laughs> I was gonna say that's how you ended up there. <laughs>
0: that's great. So, what do you yeah. sort of have your sights on next, on doing or achieving? Any I don't of know fears you want to, you know, go at head on.
3: Well, my dream race is the marathon on Antarctica. I really, I want to go to Kona, and I, I don't know. I think that right now I'm young and I'm already at. A- so I think that it's safe to say I'm not there yet, but a year ago I was nowhere near where I am now as far as the uh the ultra marathons. I can't imagine doing it yet, but I can imagine doing it much more than I once could. So I think that in the next <laughs> few years it's gonna happen.
0: <laughs> You're inching towards it. <laughs> and what's the message you want people listening to take away from your story?
3: I want people to realize that there's so much in the world to do and that whatever it is you're facing whether it's an abusive relationship or mental health whatever it is that causes you to doubt yourself it's life is much bigger than than those things and it's much more (laughs) exciting and joyful to face the fears and let go of the doubts and just kind of take the leap for the things that you don't even know if you can do, because your world just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, the more you try. And Mm. even though it's hard, no matter what you're facing, there's more out there for you than your struggles.
0: Love that. Mm, Yeah. Okay. And are there any people or brands that you like to give a shout out to who have helped you along your journey?
3: So many. Um, Definitely want to give a big, big shout out to Farm Sanctuary for making making their triathlon team at the most miraculous moment. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Nathan Semmel for making that happen as well. Andy Wetzel for making me do Patagon Man. Mark Wood for being a great training partner. Daris Brophy for making me a runner. Um, My boyfriend, Ryan Brock. And that's the short list. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. And before we ask our last question, tell everyone where they can find you online.
3: You can find me online on Instagram at Ashley C. Zach, CZAC, Uh My website is setthestoryfree.wordpress.com. You can find me on Facebook, Ashley Zacaro and I'm happy to talk to anyone ever. And that's my handles. Those are my social medias.
0: All right. And our last question is, why do you try?
3: I try because I want to see how much more i can do and i want to keep pushing those limits and keep living bigger and bigger and bigger instead of smaller.
0: Mm, awesome that is awesome thank you ashley for coming on the show it's obviously not an easy topic to talk about so thank you for sharing so openly with us and our listeners
2: yes
3: thank you so much for having me and for letting me share my story
0: all right, then we will catch you sometime later. and Yes, and definitely follow everyone.
2: all your adventures. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you, Ashley.
0: Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. Again. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Sorry about the poor audio quality in this episode. We actually had some issues with recording it, but I think Ashley was a great guest with an amazing journey and she spoke about an important topic. So we hope you still enjoyed the show. Also wanted to let you all know that there won't be an episode next week as we're taking, uh, you could call it a Christmas break, which could maybe give you all an opportunity to catch up on some previous episodes that you've missed there are some fantastic stories so do check them out and we'll either be back with new episodes from next to next week or the first monday of the new year and we'll probably consider this episode the last one of season one so in the new year we could begin like season two of the hot podcast and it's going to be the same kind of format but since it's the new year we thought we could just start a new season And to help us make the new season better, we would really love to hear your thoughts on the show so far. We've been doing it for like eight months now, which is pretty crazy. We've had 30 guests on so far. So it would mean a lot to us if you could head on over to humansoftriathlon.com slash podcast survey. The link will be in the show notes as well. And it's just a short multiple choice survey that if you could all fill out, it would mean so much to us. You can fill it out as much or as little as you want it's all going to be completely anonymous it shouldn't take you more than five or ten minutes but it'll really give us some valuable feedback to improve the show for next year so please do visit humans of triathlon.com slash podcast survey and let us know your thoughts all right everyone we wish you all a merry christmas and happy holidays and make sure to join us again for next season Season 2, where we'll continue bringing you amazing guests and stories from this Audrey but extraordinary world of triathlon. Until then everyone, keep trying.